the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome to Disability Matters with your host, Joyce Bender. All comments, views, and opinions expressed on this show are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. Now the host of Disability Matters, here's Joyce Bender. Welcome to the show, and are you registered to vote? You have to vote. Remember what I say on every show? I don't care if you vote Republican or Democrat. I just care that you vote. If we don't vote, we don't count. You must get registered. You've got to vote, got to vote. Can't stress it enough. We've got our chance here. Now we've got to do something about it. And that is why anyone listening to the show today is going to be on fire with this guest we have because here is a national champion, a national advocate, that what I would say about her is she makes it happen. She doesn't sit back and talk about it. She's not, she's the real deal. That's what I'd say. She's the real deal, and she is working every single day fighting for the rights of Americans with disabilities. Not only is she a great American and a great leader for people with disabilities, she is the mother of children with disabilities. And you heard me say it before, give me the mother of a child with a disability and look out. She has the passion, she has the courage to speak up when others aren't. Marcy Roth is the executive director and CEO of the Spinal Cord Injury Association, and we are absolutely thrilled to have her with us today. Marcy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Joyce. It's a pleasure to be with you, and thank you for that very warm welcome. Well, and it's a true welcome. It's so nice. I know. (laughs) So nice to have you. Uh, Marcy, I want our listeners around the world who do not know you to learn more about you, and I want to start with this riveting testimony before the Subcommittee on Oversight of the House Committee of Ways and Means in the House of Representatives in 2005. And at that time, you were talking about the unbelievable treatment and neglect of people with disabilities after Katrina, including Vanilda, who I know that you, you know, dedicated a lot of your discussion to, who is was Susan Daniels' sister-in-law, neglect by the Red Cross and others, and it was horrible. It was terrible. I wonder if you could give us an update. First talk about that, and then give us an update on what is the status of what has happened to those people today. Well, thank you, Joyce. And, in fact, um my involvement in emergency management for people with disabilities began um, in the aftermath of the terrorist attacks back in 2001. Um, I was working for Nickel, and the folks from New York were really struggling in the um, days after the terrorist attacks, and um, we got involved in, in trying to navigate some of the really complicated situations that people were experiencing in terms of, you know, being able to get um, the supports that they needed, uh, transportation crises, um, just, just a whole myriad of, of very complicated issues that I think people hadn't really ever thought about to any great degree before that. So um, between that period from 2001 until the hurricanes in August of 2005, 
Um, I, I remained pretty involved, although I switched jobs. I left Nickel. I came to the National Spinal Cord Injury Association and, and continued to work real hard with a lot of our colleagues on a number of um, initiatives to address the um, uh, you know, emergency management needs of people with disabilities and um, emergency pre- preparedness issues. Um, I think in August of 2005, I, like many other people, thought we were pretty adequately prepared, and I certainly thought that in a place like, um, uh, you know, the, the, the Gulf Coast of, of the United States where um, uh, there are a lot of hurricanes, I, I assumed that there would be adequate preparation. Obviously, you know, I don't have to go into any great detail. I think we were all shocked and horrified by what happened to um, a, a, a disenfranchised population, which comprised was comprised of about one third people with disabilities. Um, so one out of every three people that was in the Superdome, one out of every three people who was caught in that horrible evacuation was a person with a disability. And we've learned, you know, from that horrific time, and I very personally learned through the death of Benilda Cachetta, who um, couldn't evacuate and ended up drowning in her own home while she and I were on the phone together while I was trying to get help to her, um, learned just how far we are from adequately preparing for emergencies and disasters. Since that time, I've been very involved. I I co-chair the Consortium for Citizens with Disabilities Emergency Management Task Force. We've been very involved with um, getting a a disability um, coordinator at FEMA. We've been very involved in uh, impacting the national response framework. We've been very active in trying to impact um, legislation and practice as it relates to people with disabilities. Um, and, there, you know, there's, there, there are many, many problems still existing, and I would say that among all those problems, Joyce, the one that is the most confounding for us is that people with disabilities are referred to, much as we've tried really hard um, to address this, people with disabilities are referred to as having, quote, special needs, and they're lumped in um, people like us who have disabilities are lumped into a category of people with special needs that is defined as individuals in need of additional response assistance, including those who live in institutionalized settings, those who are elderly, who are children, who are from diverse cultures, who have limited English proficiency or are non-English speaking, or are transportation disadvantaged. What makes this especially complicated, of course, is if you think of the, the definition I just read to you, that could be virtually the entire population under certain circumstances. And when you then think about what happens in an emergency or in a disaster, um, th- there's always a, a, an exercise of triage um, to identify who gets limited resources. And triage is a system of sorting people according to need, when resources are insufficient for all to be treated. So if 25, 30% of the population are people with disabilities and are identified as special, then 
people with disabilities are going to be in grave danger when triage decisions are being made about who gets access to limited resources. So I, I remain deeply concerned about the emergency management capacity in this country, and I remain deeply concerned about the, the very current mindset when it comes to addressing the emergency preparedness and management needs of people with disabilities. I am also, because when I read your testimony, oh, my goodness, when I read how uh, people would go to the Red Cross, go to different uh, people, not just the Red Cross, I'm not picking on them, but, you know, different groups that would say, you can't go here. Mm-hmm. Go elsewhere. Mm-hmm. You can't come here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, well, that just blows my mind. Well, you know, one of the really wonderful things that's happened since then is the Department of Justice has come out with guidance that addresses Title II responsibilities for um, uh, access, the, the, the responsibilities of public entities when it comes to access, and that very clearly, very specifically refers to sheltering. And uh, back um, right around the last anniversary of the ADA, the Department of Justice put out some guidance very specific about sheltering and about uh, people's right, civil right, to be provided adequate sheltering services um, that meet their functional needs in the general shelter environment. Um, the, 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 that guidance is magnificent, and I would encourage all of your listeners to go to doj.gov and then to drill down and to find that document and then to make sure that their local community is doing what they are required to do under federal law, which is to make sure that all of those general shelters are adequately prepared to meet the additional needs of people with disabilities in an emergency or disaster. Well, Marcy, we have an email question for you here from a TED in New York City saying, Marcy, uh, kudos to you and all the great work you're doing helping people with disabilities. My question is, I'm wondering about the emergency preparedness. I know that you were involved with this in what happened after Katrina. How many people do you believe are still prisoned in nursing homes? Mm. Well... Um, I would say the vast majority of people who were living independently before Hurricane Katrina have, in fact, successfully returned to community living to at least some degree. Um, we were very involved through UMCOR, the United Methodist um, uh, Committee on Relief, um, providing case management services along with the um, National Disability Rights Network. And so we've, we've got a fairly good handle on those folks who, um, well, I, I, maybe we have a good handle, maybe we don't. I, I can't even actually say that. We have a good handle on who we have a good handle of, you know. Um, and, and what we know is that the people who were able to get our attention and the people who we were able to locate were able to get supports to return to a more independent living environment. However, for many of those people, the process by which they had to extricate themselves and we had to assist them in extricating themselves from nursing homes was disgraceful, awful. 
people who should never have been forced into nursing homes in the first place, people who were living independently, people who um, uh, could very easily with um, the services and supports that they're entitled to under the ADA could have maintained their independence in the general shelter in their community. But because of perceptions, because of limited thinking about functional ability and about the responsibility of our neighbors to assist us with our functional needs, many people were just summarily shipped off to um, uh, environments, not just um, nursing homes, but placed in medical facilities that then placed everyone in those facilities in jeopardy because we had folks who didn't need medical care taking resources from folks who did need medical care. It's, 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 just, it's just a ridiculous use of resources. Oh, and that is why we're glad we have Marcy out there speaking for us. We need more people like Marcy out there speaking for us. If you just joined us, we're going to break. I have Marcy Roth, Executive Director and CEO of the National Spinal Cord Injury Association. This is Joyce Bender, where disability matters on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Marcy. Have you ever thought about having your own internet talk show? Well, if you said yes, then click About Us. Then click Be a Host to get more information. Or just call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417. Say that again. 480-294-6417. VoiceAmerica.com. Mom? Dad? How long should I wait for you? Mom? If I'm at soccer practice. What if something happens? Will you come get me? There's no reason not to have a plan in case of a terrorist attack. Mom, if you're not home, should we go to the neighbor's house? And some extremely good reasons why you should. Can you tell me? Everybody should have a plan. Take five minutes to talk about where you'll meet and how you'll get in touch with each other in an emergency. For other things you can do to be prepared, visit www.ready.gov. A public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and the Ad Council. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back. Oh, you are on for a great show because we have Marcy Roth, the Executive Director and CEO of the National Spinal Cord Injury Association, and a true advocate in the United States for Americans with disabilities, but also a parent. 
And Marcy, I know you have children with disabilities, and you recently tried to bring a child with a disability from Iraq, which I applaud you for that, by the way. Um, but I know you have fought the fight for them, notably your son, Dust, uh, Dustin, who have, you talked about him once before. But will you talk about, for our listeners, how our school system deals with children with disabilities and what parents need to know and what you really think these transitional coordinators should really be doing. Well, thank you, Joyce. And, and uh, as a parent of Dustin, who is now 16 and a junior in high school, Jessa, who is 24 and about to graduate from college, and my dear Madwa, who is trapped in Iraq. Um, Madwa had a spinal cord injury, and we would love her to be here, but we've just never been able to get the visa that she needs. Um, but let me focus specifically on what's happening for Dustin and how that informs my understanding of the bigger picture. Um, you know, I've been battling school systems since my daughter Jessa was in elementary school, and now um, here I am, you know, Dustin at 16. We're, we're in our waning months. We have uh, 16 months to go, and yes, I am counting until we're no longer um, IDEA uh, family. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm counting. Um, you know, Dustin is a kid who two years ago people were telling me he needed to be in an institution, that what I was trying to create for him was unrealistic, that um, our community services just weren't designed to meet the additional needs of a kid like Dustin, given the fact that I had a full-time job and insurance and I wasn't eligible for anything. Well, we fought and we fought, and that's a whole story for a whole show, so we won't even go into the details of that. But bottom line is, fast forward two years later, Dustin has a 3.5 GPA in high school. Um, he attends a high school for kids with disabilities. Unfortunately, our neighborhood school was unwilling to meet his needs. Um, otherwise, that's where he would be. Um, but we're now well into his junior year in high school. He's had some wonderful experiences. He spent last summer as part of high school high tech working at NASA in the robotics lab. Uh, working on the Hubble telescope uh, on a robotic arm that's going to be used to fix the Hubble telescope. Um, he's continued with NASA, but this has been no thanks to our local school system. They've done absolutely nothing in terms of transition. And every time I keep raising um, transition questions, uh, I'm told, well, we don't really focus on transition until the uh, uh, fall of senior year in high school, which is just absolutely absurd. Now, granted, they legally have dotted their I's and crossed their T's because starting at age 14, we, we've been talking about transition, which is their legal responsibility. But the intent of transition is to create opportunities for youth with disabilities that then lead to positive outcomes for, for their life. And if we wait until the senior year in high school to really um, uh, drill into what it's going to take to help that student to make an appropriate and successful transition and then provide the kind of safety net that not just supports them from 
uh, uh, the, the K-12 experience to that next step, but really make sure that they achieve and maintain success. Um, the, the fact that we're not doing that, the fact that we're not investing in, in sustained success is just horrible. It's stupid. We want these children to grow up to be taxpayers. We want them to be self-supporting to the best of their ability. We want them to be active, uh, a, a, a part of the fabric of the community, not just um, some, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, afterthought, some poorly prepared, poorly planned uh, drop-in of individuals who really don't fit in. And I have to tell you that despite my very, very best efforts and a wonderful private school that the public school is spending a lot of money on, my child is not today prepared to make a transition that will occur in just 16 months. And I'm horrified. I'm just horrified. And yeah, I was at a wonderful National Council on Independent Living Summit yesterday where we were all talking about um, shared public policy um, uh, priorities. And, you know, I said to the assembled group, um, I have to, you know, I have to be the skunk at the picnic here because we're not moving the needle. We're spending a tremendous amount of money and we're not preparing young people for full community participation. And we've got to be doing better and differently. This is disgraceful. Well, you know what? I agree with you completely. I want to ask, go back and ask you a question. Sure. You were saying he goes to what type of school now? He goes to Kennedy Krieger High School for career. It's the, it's the Kennedy Krieger High School Career and Technology Center, which is a school, it's a segregated high school for kids with disabilities. This is not what I had planned for my children. I planned for my children to be in a general education environment in their neighborhood school. Our community school system was unwilling to educate him in his neighborhood school, wanted to place him in a very inappropriate public school environment. We battled. Ultimately, the public school placed him in uh, several private school environments until we found the, the, the right fit. And fortunately for Dustin, although he's paying a very big price in terms of his social experiences, he's getting a wonderful education. Okay, why? Why? Why getting... do they feel they had the right to do that? Why? Well, um, we again, we could spend a whole segment talking about this, but there are implementation and enforcement issues with IDEA. And um, until we implement the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and until we truly invest in inclusive education, not just integration, not just dumping children into classrooms, overloading those classrooms, failing to give those teachers adequate preparation, failing to give those teachers adequate support, we're going to have children who don't do well in those general education environments. It becomes self-fulfilling prophecy. And so when you have a kid like Dustin who has very significant support needs, who has very challenging behavior, place him in an environment without adequate supports, allow him to fail before you will acknowledge that you need to do things differently, 
And that child is going to be a real problem in that general-led environment. The general-led environment was not the appropriate place for him, not because they couldn't be, but because they weren't doing what they needed to be. Mm-hmm. And in order for me to, to exercise my child's rights and my rights under IDEA, we had to, uh, the, the, the burden of proof that this was not the appropriate environment fell to me. And you have to prove that it's not working. Well, what's the price that a child pays? What needs to happen to prove that something is not working? You can't say this is not going to work. You have to say this is not working and here's why. And that, in our case, played out over a period of several years. And there was a real child underneath all of the the strategy and all of the um, procedural efforts. And that real child paid a huge price for that proving it's not working process. You know what? Let me tell you what, listeners. Here's what really scares me so much. This is Marcy Roth's child. And she knows the law. She knows IDEA. She knows this better than most people you'll meet in your life. And if she had this happen... That really is scary. Well, and I have to tell you, Joyce, and I don't, you know, I don't want to sound grandiose, but yeah, I know the law inside and out. I know the rules. I know the game. I know the people. I had, I mean, I, I was corresponding with folks at the local, state, national, federal, my congressman, my senator, the the White House. I had the Washington Post telling our story. We pulled out all the stops. We had all of the right people who could ever possibly push the right buttons, pushing buttons to try and get this young man the educational services that he needed. And my child was inches from institutionalization. There, oh. were people, there were people seriously talking with me about relinquishing custody so that he could get community-based services because that would be the only way he would be eligible for those community-based services. The systems are not working. They are siloed. They're not being implemented. They're not being enforced. And real children, real youth, real adults are paying a terrible price for the incrementalism of change that is underway. This country needs big, huge change. We need to do things for people with disabilities very, very differently. It's going to have to be sweeping. If we continue to do it in incremental steps, we're never going to get there. We're going to lose real people along the way. We're going to have to do it big. Yes, we are going to have to do it big. And now you know why. When you hear people like Marcy Roth, speak. And when you hear her talk at one of her conferences, there is a big, gigantic reason you should be supporting people like this because we need her. We need her and we need you. As I always say when I, st- when I talk, quit waiting for the change, folks. Yeah. It's not going to come. I-, I have a story to tell you, and I'm not sure that I've ever told it on your show before, but if I have, forgive me. Um, it- in the um, 
In the evening after Justin Dart's funeral, I sat with his niece, Mari. All right, wait, stop right there, because I know we're going to have to go to break, and this okay. is too important for me to interrupt okay. you, because any story about Justin Dart, <laughs> I want to hear it all. Okay, oh, we'll be beauty. right back. We're going to go to break, and then I'll be right, 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 right back. Marcy Ross, a true champion for all of us. This is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, on voiceamerica.com. Don't go away. We'll be back. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. Over there, over there's the water. Whoosh, whoosh. And look at all this stuff I'm standing on. It's called sand, and it's everywhere. This woman may sound silly to you and me. It's made up of little tiny pieces of rocks. Teeny little pieces of rocks. But to her two-year-old son exploring the world around him, (laughs) she makes perfect sense. How does it feel when you touch the sand? Is it warm? Uh Uh-huh. It's hard to hold in your hand, isn't it? Mm Mm-hmm. Learning starts long before school does, and children are naturally curious. They want to learn, so follow their lead. Take simple, everyday moments, like sorting laundry or playing on the beach, and turn them into learning moments. Is this water? No. Very good. This is sand. Oh, (laughs) no, no, it's not food. It's sand. We don't eat sand. (laughs) Turn everyday moments into learning moments. Find out how at PornLearning.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back, and you are listening to a great show If you just joined us, Marcy Roth, Executive Director and CEO of the National Spinal Cord Injury Association and a real champion for all people with disabilities. And, Marcy, you were going to tell a story uh, right before we went to break about Justin. Yes. Justin Dart's funeral was both an incredibly sad and, and moving experience for many of us, and the evening after the funeral, the evening of the funeral, um, there was a big, huge celebration of Justin's life and um, uh, the the Americans with Disabilities Act. I was sitting with Mari, his niece, and I said, Mari, I just 
want you to know how much I loved him and what an incredible friend he was and what a mentor, incredible mentor he was. And I said, you know, I just can't even, you know, he was just, he was just so wonderful and so amazing and what he did for this country. And I was going on and on and on and she said, she looked at me and she said, stop right now. And I sort of like, whoop, excuse me, she said, did you not learn his lesson? She said, if you put Justin Dart on a pedestal, you missed the message. If we wait for a Justin Dart to emerge, if we wait for that one single leader to show us the way, we've missed the point. The point is we all need to be that leader. We all need to do what we can to make change. We all need to assume responsibility for a piece of this. And I will never forget that empowering feeling that not only did I know what to do, but that it was my obligation in remembering Justin to do all I could to keep making change. So I I appreciate the wonderful comments, and I appreciate... um, uh, you know all that you've said. It is each of our responsibility to vote. It is each of our responsibility to cast an educated vote. It's each of our responsibility to make sure that we're helping other people to understand what the issues are. Sometimes it means putting our butts on the line and taking chances. Sometimes it means being outspoken and and vocal about what it's going to take to make real change for real people and doing it in a way that could put us personally in an uncomfortable situation, but we have got to do all we can to move change to a real place for for 54 million people and, in fact, for 650 million people worldwide because it isn't just about Americans. As, As we lobby for... Um, the the United States to join the, what, 122 other countries that have signed on to the International Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, we're making sure that 650 million people worldwide aren't left behind. And that is each of our responsibility. Oh, yes, it is, because those are our brothers and our sisters. Absolutely. And, you know, as a woman with epilepsy, I always say, I don't care what country you are or where you are in the world, believe me, a seizure is a seizure. Absolutely. It ha- I, I can tell you that right now. And, you know, what you were saying about Justin is so true. Yoshiko, I love Yoshiko. She's a, a dear friend of mine and yours, I know. Absolutely. And she tells me that all the time. She tells me all the time, no, you must lead on. Mm-hmm. Other people must lead on. Mm-hmm. I- I'm, and, you know, it's so hard to not put Justin Dart on a pedestal. Yeah. Because he was such a great man. I had Idea Dart on the show, and I said to her, well, okay, what was he like? You know, being, you know, he's your father. What was he like? She said, Joyce, you know what? If the news media would be following him around, they would say he's Justin Dart 24 by 7. Like there isn't, it's not like that he went out and said all these things. But then he went home and didn't care, and you know what I mean? Oh, I mean, no. And she was telling me how at Thanksgiving 
he would invite all the people to his house from this uh, halfway house. I think it had people with uh, either drug issues and yes. or psychiatric yes, issues. absolutely. And would have the whole house filled. Yep. And that's just, you know, I told Yoshiko, he is my role model. If I can, absolutely. to the day I die, be like Justin, meaning that, as you well know, Marcy, to the very end, he was on a crusade. Yep. Never stopped. Yep. But guess what? You have his spirit, and you are doing what his niece said. Well, thank you, and I appreciate that. And, and, and if, if we're all doing our part, there's no stopping us. Yeah, and, except we've got to get united somehow. Well, we sure do. We sure do. And I, and I think there is growing unity in the disability community. I see it like never before. Um, as I was saying yesterday, I was at the National Council on Independent Living Policy Summit, and, you know, there were folks who, um, uh, from just all sorts of different organizations that have not always worked real well together, all around a table, all talking about the same issues, all invested in finding ways to maximize each other's um, uh, participation together so that we can make demonstrated change. Well, I know one way we can. Let's talk about this uh, presidential campaign we have. Let's do that. Yeah, let's talk about that. As you unfortunately well recall, in the last presidential election, we, people with disabilities, were not mentioned. We weren't in the program. We weren't on the platform. We weren't, really, we weren't part of anything in either party, which is terrible. Now, what can we do to change that and and what impact do you think there will be this time? Well, not only um, were we not mentioned, and and not only was it terrible, it was stupid, because there is the potential for forty million voters with disabilities. And what continues to perplex me is why people, candidates, campaigns, the parties aren't falling all over themselves to try and get to a population of people who, by and large, are going to be reflective of the larger population, so there are going to be some who are Democrats, some who are Republicans, some who are Independents. This is a population of people, many of whom couldn't vote in the past because their voting place wasn't accessible or they didn't have accessible transportation or they were living in an institution and they weren't given the opportunity to vote. So as as candidates, both at the local, state, and, and, and national level, are looking for ways to get to new voters, you would think that our message about this potential pool of really valuable voters would be getting them much more excited than it is. Now, that being said, um, I think we've come a huge way forward, and I'm very excited as I see the candidates are talking about disability. If you go to Barack Obama's website, he has a, a, a web page on disability issues. He has a, a disability plan. He talks about his family's experience, Michelle his wife's experience with a dad who has a disability. Um, he has a couple of folks as part of his team who are, are senior members of his team who have uh, children with disabilities. Um, Hillary Clinton 
talks about her experience with passage of IDEA. She um, uh, has, you know, certainly um, talked about disability. Um, uh, you know, uh, they, they've both talked about uh, candidates uh, as candidates. They've talked about issues around healthcare and people with disabilities. We're needing to see a whole lot more of that. We're needing to see um, uh, John McCain talking about issues that that I think he has a history of being pretty supportive on. Um, And we need to be demanding of each of these campaigns, demanding of them that they talk about us. We need, when, when they're talking about seniors, they need to be saying seniors and people with disabilities when they're talking about issues around um, uh, community-based services and long-term care and health care. When they're talking about housing, they need to make sure that they're talking about that, the accessible, affordable housing issues that, that are facing the, the people with disabilities um, who, who need housing. When they're talking about employment, when they're talking about poverty, people with disabilities are twice as likely as the rest of the population to live in poverty. So when they talk about poverty, they must talk about people with disabilities. And it's not happening to the degree that it needs to, and we need to be demanding it. We need to be demanding it both by getting involved in those campaigns, pressing from the inside where we can, and then as well from the outside in our communities, we need to be standing together and demanding that they talk about our issues and that they plan for how they're going to adequately um, address the many complicated issues that need to be addressed if we're going to have the kind of sweeping change that we need to have. You know what? I'll tell you something. I, I agree with you, but I agree on another point. I do not understand why, when you saw a presidential election uh, last time, where, well, was it 100,000 votes or whatever that was in Ohio, you know, was the clincher? I mean, what is the reason they have not included people with disabilities? I don't get it. I don't get it either. I don't get it either. I I, I just, it's a real head-scratcher, and it... You know, I think a lot of us, and I know you would be among them, a lot of us have spent a lot of time talking about this. Why are we not moving the employment needle? Why are our our candidates not talking more? Why are they not going after our votes? Why, Why are we not doing a better job of investing in kids with disabilities? Because we all know what happens when we fail to employ people. We all know what happens when, when our, our youth are not adequately prepared to compete in, in the employment arena. We, we all know that that crisis becomes everybody's crisis. Why aren't we doing more about it? You got it. That is the question of the day. And why, as she said, do we have this astronomically high unemployment rate? We got to do something about it. We got to get fired up here come back we'll close the show with our real oh talk about a fireball our advocate our leader miss marcy roth this is joyce bender america's voice on voiceamerica.com we'll be right back
Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. I'm Garcelle Beauvais-Nylon. When I played a DA on NYPD Blue, I got all the facts before trying a case. Yet many don't know the facts about epilepsy. There are two and a half million Americans with the condition, and one in ten Americans will have a seizure in their lifetime. People with epilepsy want to lead normal lives, but too many of us don't know what epilepsy is or what to do if someone has a seizure. To learn more, visit epilepsyfoundation.org or call 1-800-332-1000. In the great scheme of things, a minute isn't all that much, unless you happen to have a stroke. All of a sudden, those minutes count. Minutes that could mean losing your ability to talk, move, or walk. Which is why, if you can get help in time, your stroke can be treated. The warning signs of a stroke include sudden numbness or weakness of the face. If you experience this, call 911 immediately. Visit strokeassociation.org or call 1-888-4-STROKE today. A public service announcement from the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. VoiceAmerica.com If you have a question or comment, call in toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now please welcome back the host of Disability Matters, here's Joy Spender. And welcome back to the show. We have as our guest today Marcy Roth, who is the Executive Director and CEO of the National Spinal Cord Injury Association. Marcy, I know we're getting ready to close the show in the next few minutes, but there are a couple things I would like to talk about. First, as you know, health care is a major issue for all Americans and definitely for people with disabilities. There are so many people uninsured, so many people really that are fearful. What's going to happen with Medicare? What's going to happen with Medicaid? You know, what, what is your feeling about that? Well, health care is huge for, for all Americans, and it is especially huge for people with disabilities. I believe, and, and I know many of our friends and colleagues believe, that if we can get it right for people with disabilities, we can get it right for everybody, and that that should be the measure. I am concerned when I look at the health care plans about whether or not the additional health care needs of people with disabilities are going to be adequately addressed. And I'm also very concerned about issues of enforcement. I, I, I worry that we already have a system that does a terrible job of enforcing existing laws as they pertain to um, um, uh, enforcement of, of um, uh, what, what is expected of whether it's school systems, whether it's communities, uh, or whether it's individuals. And I worry that when we mandate health care and we mandate that people pay for it and when people with disabilities, many of whom are not poor enough to be eligible for Medicaid or Medicare, but they don't have adequate resources to pay for health insurance, what are we going, how are we going to enforce those rules and wouldn't it make more sense to invest all we've got in lowering the cost of health care 
rather than creating a new system for enforcing mandatory care. I just worry about that. Yes, I worry about that also. Yeah. Because yeah. of what that could do to people that, as you say, cannot obtain insurance. Well, the cost, it's you know, when it, right. When it costs $15,000 for a new power chair, and if your insurance doesn't cover your power chair, and that's what you need in order to maintain your independence, are you going to be able to afford that $15,000 power chair and a monthly health insurance premium at the, at the current rates or at slightly reduced rates? I don't think so. Most people wouldn't be able to. I agree with you. And that is a frightening thought, isn't it? That's yep. what, you know, when Marcy was saying vote before, she said an educated vote. I really hope you, everyone listening to the show, take time to go to the web, read what's going on, find out, you know, what the presidential candidates, find out what their platform is, their health care platform, read about it, get informed, or you could really be left out, and in that case, it would be deadly. Yep. Hey, Marcy, I think that the whole world was shocked when you turned on the Today Show or Good Morning America, whatever, or CNN, and saw that gentleman being thrown out of the wheelchair. Brian Sterner. Jumped out of the wheelchair, I should say. What the heck did you think about that? Well, as it turns out... um, um, we know Brian real well. Brian is a, a wonderful advocate, wonderful leader down in Florida. Um, Brian was the director of the Florida Spinal Cord Injury Resource Center for, for many years and um, is just a, a great guy who knows his rights. Um, I, I, I don't for a moment want to imply that he is any less entitled to that absolutely horrible criminal behavior than someone else. But you can imagine that this is a guy who knows what what his rights are and knows how to talk with people and knows how to talk through the system. And, and this is the experience that he had. He was fortunate only in that he knew what he needed to do to call attention to this. And he's done a magnificent job of calling attention to this. Imagine if this happened to him, how many other people are treated this way. I mean, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, but I just don't see that as a unique situation. The only thing unique about it is that this was a very bright guy who knew how to get attention to what had happened, number one. And number two, conveniently enough, there was a tape. Thank goodness. Thank goodness. Yeah, and how about, did you, how about this? How about the other people just standing around? Ah! I mean, when I saw that, I said, why weren't they mortified? Why weren't they all, like, jumping? Yeah. Why weren't they? And see, that's what worries me. Yeah. That's what worries me, the way people think about people with disabilities. And that, you see, it's, it's, it's insidious, and it's so pervasive. You see it everywhere. People whether it's low expectations of our children and our youth, whether it's um, uh, failing to to provide employment opportunities, whether it's failing to build homes so that people can visit, whether it's that disconnect that the people, people who are buying houses, you know, when they're my age, all grown up, and they're buying houses with, without thinking about aging in place. Where do they think they're going to be living at the point at which those flights of stairs become 
impossible for them on a daily basis. And and I come back to the same thing over and over again, and that is that it's our responsibility to teach our neighbors, to teach our communities, to teach the people who are our decision-makers about these issues. We have got to do a better job of teaching them. We're obviously not doing an adequate enough job because they're not getting it. No, they're not getting it. And they wouldn't still be able to make fun of people with disabilities on TV or in movies. That's right. You know, That's we exactly too right. Would be, we, too, would be considered yep. a minority group that you do not do that about. You know yep. what I mean? Absolutely. And we would not have this extremely high unemployment rate for Americans with significant disabilities. That's right. Not to mention that, as Commissioner Griffin has pointed out repeatedly, we now, today, print it out have the, in 20 years, at the federal agencies, the lowest employment of people with disabilities. How are we on that way? Two years away from the ADA, we have the lowest employment. How can that be? And if our federal government is not able to figure out how to adequately employ a, a representational you know, one in five people, which is the the representation of people with disabilities in this country, if if the federal government isn't doing that, and then certainly the private sector isn't doing that, and at the same time our social security system is in crisis and our health care system is in crisis, and our, our you know, the, the, those who are of my age group are aging and, and, and the baby boomers are all coming of age, there is there has got to be major change, and we have got, you know, what is it that Mahatma Gandhi says, you know, be the change you wish to see? I can lament this till the cow comes, cows come home. The bottom line is, if I don't like it, I have to do something about it. I have to be the change I wish to see. Yes. Yes, you do. That is true. Marcy, before I ask you these last two questions, mm-hmm. I wanted to ask you, anyone listening to the show today, uh, what can they do to help you with the National Spinal Cord Injury Association, and how can they make a donation? Oh, what wonderful questions. Thank you so much. Well, the National Spinal Cord Injury Association is celebrating our 60th anniversary this year. We're really excited about it. And I invite everyone to come to our website, come early, come often, www.spinalcord.org. That's S-P-I-N-A-L-C. O-R-D dot O-R-G. We're gearing up for our fourth Spinal Cord Injury Hall of Fame. We've had wonderful, wonderful events. We have 39 true leaders, truly exemplary individuals who've been inducted into the Hall of Fame this coming year. We've got some really exciting stuff unfolding. Can't wait to talk more about that. Um, at the National Spinal Cord Injury Association, we are on a daily basis addressing the needs not only of people with spinal cord injuries, but as well people with spinal cord dysfunction, people with spinal cord diseases, people with mobility disabilities. And then even more broadly, we see ourselves as absolutely committed to the additional needs of 54 million people, not just people with spinal cord injuries. So we work collaboratively with our brother and sister organizations and and uh, do all that we can to make sure that everyone's benefiting 
when progress is being made. And do they just go to that website if they want to make a donation? Yes. To, to make a donation to the National Spinal Cord Injury Association, you can go to the website. There's a place right on the main page that um, uh, will take you right into PayPal. For those folks who don't want to use PayPal, they can um, call our toll-free number and someone will assist them with making a donation. We struggle on a daily basis to raise the funds that we need in order to be able to meet the needs of not just people with spinal cord injuries, but across the board. And we really appreciate those donations, and no I matter how big or small. I want you to take time to do it, too. Marcy, what message do you want to leave with our listeners today? I, I'm going to use Justin Dart's quote, vote as if your life depended on it because it does. Get involved in politics as if your life depended on it because it does. Truer words, never spoken. We always end with a quote from a famous civil rights leader, and today it is from Marcy Roth, who said, People don't go to nursing homes because they are old. They go to nursing homes when their community fails to meet their additional needs. How true that is. You've been listening to Joyce Bender and Marcy Roth. Marcy, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you very much. It's been wonderful to be with you. Thanks so much for having me. And this is Joyce Bender, America's Voice, where disability matters, on voiceamerica.com. Get out and vote. See you next week. Voice America would like to thank you for tuning in. Please join us next Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time for another installment of Disability Matters right here on the Internet Leader and Talk Radio, voiceamerica.com. Talk, talk, talk. That's all we do is talk. Yeah.